From WPVM LP in Asheville, it's the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. Lexi Harvey is away again this month, so I'll be with you for the whole hour. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and this is Tyler Ramsey.
The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour is made possible by our underwriter, The Marketplace Restaurant. Serving Asheville for over 40 years, The Marketplace is Asheville's original farm-to-table restaurant. The Marketplace strives to bring you the best of what our region has to offer, farmed by our neighbors. For more information on our underwriters or to support us yourself by subscribing to our Patreon, head to dirty-spoon.com. We're doing something a bit different today. In lieu of all the stories and new music releases of our normal show, we wanted to highlight one particular artist. A while back, WNC Magazine hired me to profile one of my favorite songwriters and performers, Asheville's own Tyler Ramsey. If you grab the fall issue of WNC Magazine, you can actually read the story I wrote about him. But in the process of making that piece, Tyler was generous enough to give me a lot of time for an interview. And it was such an insightful conversation that I thought everyone should hear it. He has a new album coming out called New Lost Ages. You've already heard one of the songs from it at the top of the show. Throughout the hour today, we'll be digging into his music, discussing his time with and departure from Band of Horses, as well as picking apart his creative process and talking about his new record. We talked through his entire musical career, from taking jazz piano lessons as a kid to moving to Brevard, where he dropped out of college and relocated to Asheville to focus on making music. When I met him, in the early 2000s, he was working in a record store, almost blue, and had just started writing songs. He'd been playing in improv bands for years, but was starting to dip his toe into Americana and finger-picking guitar. We'll pick up the conversation just after I asked him how he got into songwriting. I don't really remember what, what it was. I mean, it was just like listening to more of that kind of music, I think, and thinking that it would be fun to try. And the fact that I kind of had played out the the instrumental improv thing and didn't yeah. feel like it was really what I wanted to be doing. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed like, you know, guitar for me started like way back in eighth, I think eighth grade was when I got my first like electric guitar. Um, and then I shortly after that got an acoustic guitar and then started messing around with open tunings and finger style and, um, so I think at some point it just turned into the main uh, passion for me. It was like just something that I wanted to do all the time. Yeah, yeah. Did that, I mean, <laughs> hmm. having having grown up writing songs, I know it can be a difficult struggle to start writing. Yeah. But, um, and then, but then sometimes you write that one and you're like, oh, I think that's a song. I think right. I just yeah. did it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, I think I can write lyrics now. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that epiphany hit for you? Was that early on or was that kinda- It was, I mean, I was trying earlier on, but I think I didn't really feel like I'd written a song until uh, I'd put that for there's like a self-titled album that i put out like in 2004 i think yeah and those songs uh i had written maybe the year leading up to that um and that's when i was like yeah i think i think these are good you know i was like out playing them for people you know in whatever place i could possibly get into to play it was like restaurants or bars or yeah um and uh, I think the first time I saw you play was Bobo Gallery, and there were like six people in the room. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, "Hey, can, do you have an album I can buy?" And you were like, <laughs> "Yeah." And we went out of the trunk of your car, so you of could course. get the CD. <laughs> yeah, that's where you keep them. <laughs> of course, you keep them in the trunk. Um, 
Yeah, those would, uh, so that was the first batch of songs. And yeah, I was just trying it out. But like I started getting, noticing that people liked a couple of them. And um, uh, yeah, it just felt like something I wanted to keep pursuing. And that first, you know, that first CD was like, <laughs> you know, hand burned. Right. Uh, I think I was like, you know, I probably went to Kinko's and made the covers and, uh, you know, it was just all pieced together. I made a bunch of, I used to do letterpress stuff. Uh, and uh, I made a bunch of covers at the letterpress shop too. That's where the, nice. that's the original, there's like a cassette print on the cover and that was like a carving that I did. And yeah, so yeah, it was all kind of a cool creative shift at that point. Was that the the Lost Girls record, or was that the one before it? Yeah, that was the one. Okay, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. That's, nice. That's the first one that has songs on it. Man, yeah. that's that's an incredible like first record to Thanks. put out. That's got some really killer songs. <laughs> that's on it. awesome. Yeah, thank you. That's a. Uh, I, I think, um, I can still stand behind that yeah. song, that that record. You know, there's some cool stuff on it. It was a. Uh, I've actually thought recently about redoing. One, at least one or two of those songs just for the fun of it. Which up, ones? Updating them. I don't know, like maybe Lost Girls or... Yeah. Um, I don't know, Time Machine, maybe something like that. Time Machine and was I, such an interesting one because it like... I don't know, I remember hearing that and thinking, man, this is coming from a different angle. Yeah. You know? And like, I always loved that about... Uh, um, oh, what's his name that did the uh, that Sail Away record? He's uh yeah, that did the Toy Story soundtrack. I never can remember his name. Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Yeah. Thank you. I always love Randy Newman songs because they just come from a funny angle where mm-hmm. you're like, well, that's a weird thing to write a song about. <laughs> right. or like that's a weird angle to take on this song that we've heard a thousand times. Yeah. And I always thought Time Machine was like a fun one to like, I don't know. It's oh, a, that's cool. It's got yeah. some quirk to it. I yeah. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for the time machine. I'll travel back. Show myself to things I should have seen Yeah, I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that record. I think there's some cool. I love the instrumentals on that thing too. Like the, yeah, they they turned out really cool. That was recorded in uh, my friend Brian's basement. Uh, he used to have a little studio down there, and I couldn't even stand up down there. I'd have to like sit down because my I'm too tall to be down there. Um, but good old, uh, good old Brian Landrum. Yeah, we did black eyed co- dog. Yeah, we did some cool stuff down there. Um, yeah, Brian's another one of those songwriters that, man, I just love the way he puts a song together. Yeah, I really wish that he was still doing that. Me too, yeah. I've, I've tried to convince that, him. Yeah, that second Black Eyed Dog record, I think I've just wore out several yeah. copies of it just because he, I don't know, he tells a story in such a compelling way mm-hmm. and then always has the punchline that's just like the gut punch where you're yeah. just like, oh, man. Yeah, they were <laughs> like, you know, at that at that point, 
I looked up to them as like the best. I think they were like kind of the best band in Nashville. You oh, know, like yeah. I would see them play or like, uh, I'm like, these guys are like pros, you know, it was, it was kind of like, they definitely stood out, you know? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Were, were you <laughs> one that had to be pushed to make a record or were you like itching to make a record? Um, that first thing, I think, I think I wanted to do it. I I don't know. I don't know what I expected out of it. I don't think I had. Yeah. I've never had like huge expectations uh, of anything musical. Uh, and that's a different kind of record because you weren't sitting around with like a full band recording live, were you? Or was that? It was just me and Brian. Down yeah, there. that's yeah, what I thought. Yeah. Um, which is kind of how a lot of my records have been. It's been like a very small yeah group of people. You know, it's never like a whole band going in and like tracking live or whatever. But right. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I expected out of it, um, and I, I feel like that's <laughs> the story every time I put a record out. I'm like, I don't really know what my expectations are at, yeah. at this point, other than hopefully the ability to keep doing it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like just listening to the song and figuring out what it needs instead of, I don't know, trying to force it into, this is going to be the hit. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know that that works out too well for well. No, it probably works out for some people, but. Uh, but I mean, it depends on what you mean by works out, <laughs> <laughs> right? I guess let's get into Long Dream of Swimming Across the Sea. Oh, yeah, because uh, I guess that was the next record after that, that was, yeah, that, that was titled. Uh, so, yeah, I wrote, I wrote all those songs and um. Echo Mountain was kind of brand new in town, I think. Yeah. I don't I can't remember what year they opened up, but it was like around somewhere they between like two thousand four or five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. So I think maybe they'd been there for a year or something. And um yeah, I had all this this music written and I was I was actually really like really excited about that one. I just like felt like the songs were like I'd you know, um evolved. Uh, yeah which you know hopefully you do every time but um so i felt like i wanted to try you know going into a studio proper and and i had bill reynolds was you know and is like a close friend of mine and he um he was pretty involved with echo and um i think he was excited to get in there and record and and uh danny kadar you remember danny oh, yeah yeah used to be an engineer there but he's like a fantastic uh engineer and just an, an awesome dude uh so it was really just the three of us and seth kaufman came in and played on some stuff and brian came in and played on some stuff and um but it was really that kind of core group of me and bill and danny yeah um and i didn't have any money at the time so i think uh i think actually my my grand my grandmother <laughs> My grandma paid for that record. Really? Yeah. I uh, I don't I don't know how it all, how it worked out, but I think I was just like really excited to do the project and trying to figure out how maybe she matched what I was able to huh. raise or something. But it was like it was like a a family affair, kind yeah. of, you know. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And then we ended up in there for a couple of weeks and and made. That record, which again I'm super proud of, and I, I I don't listen to any of my old stuff very often, but occasionally I'll hear something or um, 
you know, I might go back and check on how a song is played if I'm going to try and play it live. Yeah. And every time I hear that record, I'm just, I'm taken back to that, that time. I had a long, I had a long, I had a long, long dream. that um like again approaching things from a, a, a unique angle the title track of that record like i don't think i can think of another song especially primary focused song on an album early in the record that just goes off into drops out all the other instruments into like just an acoustic guitar <laughs> playing and then comes back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like it's just such a unique arrangement yeah. and unique way to to approach a piece. I don't know. How did that type of thing come about? Is that you mentioned that it you're not in there with a whole full band playing. Right. You're basically multi-tracking the thing? Are you? I believe, yeah, we were multi-tracking the whole thing. I, I think I had done demos on uh, on my four-track uh for that record. So I had like ideas. I had pretty solid ideas of the forums and the song and everything. And I just had like, you know, um, things in my head about what we could, where we could take them. Um, but I do love those long, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of like some really long songs on my records, (laughs) you know, like it's not unheard of to have like six minute songs. Yeah. At least more than one on a record. Um, and I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love instrumental music a lot. Um, and I love, I guess having a, maybe it would hark back to the the jazz thing in a way. I mean, it's just like, there's, there's a, you know, there's the, the melodic form and the lyrics, and then you can take the song into another place and then come back and, and circle back around and end up where you started um a lot of times i will just do you know i've got songs that start off with the lyrics and everything and then they just trail off on an instrumental and then they're done um i enjoy like mixing those two things together yeah Um, it's a very british folk way to approach yeah i mean we interviewed steve gunn on here recently steve gunn yeah oh yeah and he he kind of does that same thing and he was, was talking to him about it and i was like it's just from this like whole British folk tradition that you seem to have found yourself in. And he was like, actually, it's coming from like Indian music. Oh, yeah. Because like, <laughs> he always has these very drone based songs. Right. But I feel like, I feel like when you get into like folk traditions of music, there is this thing of like, the song is just important as the words. Like mm-hmm. the lyrics are, are just as important as the 
the music and the story that the music is telling. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I believe that. I believe that like, uh, the guitar, you know, movements that are happening are, uh, yeah, totally as important as, as the lyrical. And I, I mean, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on the lyrics, especially the farther I get in, in this path that I'm yeah. on. Like I, I, I really believe that, uh, the lyrics are the most important to me. And I, I really like work at those, you know? Yeah. Um, but I really want the guitar or, you know, it, it, it's important to me to ha- end up with a song that, um, that carries itself with one guitar and one vocal, you know, like if yeah. I'm, if I'm sitting in a room full of people playing a show, uh, that it can be carried on one, you know, just by me. I don't need like a bunch of things happening right. for the song to get across and mean something to people. So, so those are those two things tied together are just, uh, yeah, they have to both be good, you know. But it has <laughs> to be they, a relationship. Yeah, they both have to work. It has to be a relationship. I'm not just like, um, you know, it's not me just like strumming chords and. Yeah, you know, it's it's like they're 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 tied together. I feel like to me that that is a, a huge mark of like what distinguishes distinguishes a quote unquote singer songwriter mm-hmm. from a fucking songwriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the ability to have the pieces of music that where the music feels like the emotional release that you need from the lyrics. Yeah, and I feel like. Long Dream Swimming Across the Sea is a perfect example of like, by the time that guitar part hits in, you need it. Mm-hmm. You know, you need the break, you need the release. Um, what's the one about the, um, towards the end of the song, the one with the ocean sounds on that one, uh, about the, the light reflected from yours into mine. What is that one? Oh, please stop um, time. Yeah, please stop time. Um, yeah, that's another example, I feel like, where the music kind of just, the song is aching, but the music is almost a relief mm-hmm. to the pain of the thing. And I think that if you don't have that relationship with it, that one wouldn't work. Right. Like if you're just strumming along yeah. and singing that, yeah. it would feel like a Lilith Fair song and it just wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no insult I don't know to what Lilith to think Fair, about really. that. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that, you know, I think um, that song works uh I really like, I love leaving empty space too. I think that's so important for a song, like to leave breath in the song and leave, you know, um, and, and that one, um, that's one of my favorite songs I've written, by the way, that please stop time. I think it's like, yeah, it's just came out right. You know, it it expressed what I needed to express and it, it, um, yeah, it's, I still, I still feel that one. I, I try to, it's a perfect song. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't say that often, but that is a perfect song. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I try and I, I try to write songs that are that make me feel like um, I don't want to get too like sappy or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I do. I try to make songs that I really do feel when I write them, and when I finish them, I'm like, there. There's that feeling. There's just a feeling yeah. that I get when I can express something that I need to. Look out the window 
biographical for you i don't know i mean not always but yeah a lot of times it is you know it's not it's not direct it's not a direct approach but it's like yeah i think it's a lot of me just kind of like playing with things that are in my life or whatever uh you know that um but yeah that so when i'm when i'm done with the song it's it's pretty cool that like however many years later i'm still able to feel what it what it was to write that song and I, I can like be delivered into the even like the visual images that that I was trying to express in that in yeah. that song you know so that's kind of like my goal is like creating things that stick around and 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 um you're preserving something yeah and I can you know and I can do shows and believe what I'm singing to people and I'm not just like going through uh motions uh yeah, you know. Hopefully, maybe it's some the, nights I am. It's the old but. Bob Dylan quote: "Be good to your memories, for you cannot relive them." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked that one. I've, I've always thought it too. Like, I had to do a piece a while back on like what it means to be Appalachian. Mm-hmm. I was asked to write this piece, and the only thing I could really define it as was like the habits of my grandmother and great grandmother, and. It was all about preserving things, preserving the garden mm-hmm. and tending to and preserving the things that you loved and taking care of those things and maintaining them. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, because oh, when you grow up in a place, you don't think about what it is to be from there. Mm-hmm. It's not until you leave the place that it really occurs to you. And then once I realized it, I was like, oh, that's kind of the root of what all of the people I was brought up with were. And some of those people take it to the extremes and are hoarders. And some of them mm-hmm. like... But I think the, the the root of it is like really taking care of and honoring your past and your memories and these things without 
putting them on a pedestal. Right. And But being realistic and having this clear-headedness about it. And, I mean, that's surely what good songwriting is, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, I was just starting to think about, uh, yeah, holding on to memories or holding on to things. Uh, you were just making me think about my, my studios a little... <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff in my studio, um, a lot of instruments, but I also have like a lot of uh, keepsakes that I've had mm-hmm. throughout my life. And I, you know, I don't know. I think it's important, yeah, to think about your, I mean, I've enjoyed my whole path that I've been on. And there's moments that are like fading into the back, but background, but like there's, there's things that I've kept like that I can just look at and like, uh, yeah. I get taken back to that place, you know. And that's yeah. the same with the songs that I've written. It's like I can I can sing those songs and get taken back to that moment. Um uh Yeah, I mean, speaking of no one goes out anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that song is just a perfect time capsule mm-hmm. of a period in in this city. Yeah. Remember the song that the band used to play? That that one's uh, pretty heavy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to sing, uh, especially if I know that there's people that know what it you know what it's about in the audience. And I, you know, if I'm playing in town, it's definitely like yeah, some of the people in the room, and I can you know. Uh, but it was yeah. a song about Vincent Sear closing, right? It was, yeah. But yeah. you know, about our friend Ashley passing away, and yeah, um, and that yeah, just the end of that. You know, the end of a really pretty magical uh, era of this of this town. You know that I felt really, I felt really like honored and, and fortunate to have been included in that little crazy family that was right. involved. You know, with that with Vincent's ear and that whole scene, and that and even downtown at that time, like all those people. A lot of my friends and people that I was hanging out with were all living downtown. You know, we could afford, to, we could right. still afford to like have little apartments down there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I never even felt like I fit in over there, but like it felt like a family that like 
open their arms and let me come hang out, you know, and it was like... Uh, <laughs> like having dinner out. at the, the cool family's table. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about it all the time How this town is changing before our eyes You say it's growing away the towns time and like to have a place where a music scene can be like fostered and like thriving like that like everything that was happening in there felt exciting you know like all the bands that were getting up on stage and like um it just was a cool little fire that was burning in this town and like you know yeah and I know it. I know it moved somewhere else. You know, I'm sure it did. <laughs> I'm sure it there are plenty does. of places. But you know, there. I think there's a point in your life where you you can connect to those scenes, and then, um, you know, as you, I guess, you get a little older, and you're not you're out on the town all the time, and you don't really know like where the all the new bands are playing. And right. Um, so for me, that was like a you know, it was a pretty big moment when that place closed down and, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that, that song talks about people crying on the stage the last day. I mean, that they kept saying last day Vincent's here and it would be like a bunch of people would show up and, you know, drink way too much PBR and like, you know, (laughs) just like we, we were just like, you know, mourning the loss of that, of that space and that, that little scene that was going on. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like that song's just as relevant. I feel like that song has been relevant that, especially that line, you say that it's growing the way that towns do, but I can't help thinking it's dying. Mm-hmm. Is like, I mean, each generation I feel like has seen that yeah. of what their interpretation yeah. of the city is and what their interpretation of their town is, and exactly for whatever town they're living in. Right. Uh, oh man. I guess let's uh, let's let's keep on trucking through the trajectory. Sure. Um, that was about when you got picked up by Band of Horses, right? Yeah, that was I, right about that same time. I think that record came out. Uh, it was when I met them. They were like coming in the studio. Uh, I think so. I had a couple, like a two week session, maybe or a week session. I don't. I don't think I worked on that record for too long. But we were finishing up the first session, and they were moving in to work on uh, "Cease to Begin." And me and Bill both met them at the time, kind of like passing in the hallway, moving gear out, and they were moving their gear in and. Um, 
and then uh yeah and then when they left i was moving back in to finish that record so hmm. met them then and uh it wasn't too long after that 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 um i ended up taking bill over to down to charleston to rehearse for his i think his first show with them maybe and we were all sitting at a at taco boy on folly beach and uh and their guitar player at the time wasn't going to be able to make like some shows and i was like well i'll fill in if you want me to you know and then ended up being asked to join the band in that same conversation over a lot of tequila and tacos <laughs> or whatever um yeah so the the long dream maybe had just come out or was coming out i think it had just come out and and all of a sudden i'm playing in that band so, yeah yeah that's pretty that's a big jump <laughs> was that yeah i mean do you think was, long dream like contributed to that or was that they heard they had heard it i think um so i think they had heard the music um but i don't know i don't know i think we just you know bill and i both were fired up and wanted to play music and then you know, yeah. we were we were kind of like on the path to do whatever and and that just kind of fell in our laps and and you got you got some songs on the record too, right? Uh, on that next record, yeah, yeah. the Inf- Infinite Arms record, we did. Uh, I had a couple songs on there, I think, or one one song, and then we were all at that point in the band. It was very, very much a band, you know. Right. We were all kind of like throwing ideas out, and 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 there was a lot of energy, and it felt really cool. So there was a lot of co-writing stuff happening on that record. Nice, and a lot of everyone's influence was piling in, and. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can kind of tell that. I feel like their first record, a lot of that album feels like they're not really, the songs don't seem like they're telling a story. mm -hmm. They seem like they're um, almost repeating a slogan. Mm -hmm. That's too, I don't mean to say that in a diminishing way, but it just Mm -hmm. feels very slogan-y of repetitive slogans. And then I feel like by Infinite Arms, there was like, stories happening in the songs yeah i think that was probably his uh ben's like path of you know evolving uh, as a songwriter and you know going through yeah he had like gone through his first breakup with his wife or something and when he was writing some of that infinite arm stuff so yeah, yeah that was uh yeah there was more like yeah stuff for maybe more material as you get older you have right more things to pull from i guess yeah i mean and, and you drop evening kitchen in there which is just one of the most like gut-wrenching <laughs> sad songs imaginable <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Don't you hold 
yeah, that was uh, that was fun. I, I I wanted to make sure that it was like very, uh, you know, that whole record's really lush, and I wanted I wanted that song to be what it was, which just ended up being one acoustic guitar and uh, yeah, two vocals. You know, me and Ben singing harmonies on that. Yeah. Um, and I think it fit well in that record that way. And I think that kind of that, that in a way that that was my influence on that band was like, all right, we can do all this stuff, but like we can also do this. So that evolved into like some of the more pared down songs that showed up on the on the next records and like the acoustic stuff that we ended up doing, I think was kind of like uh, us taking that ability and like exploring it a little bit more like oh we can we can really like do something very sparse and like it has a big effect on a on the audience you know i think people we started doing like we would do evening kitchen um live and you know in front of like a big room yeah or, or we did a bonnery one time <laughs> uh and uh yeah, it was it was powerful to, to to have that in the in the arsenal. I think so. That yeah. was that was my contribution. Most of the time, I was in that band. I was just trying to do what seemed most band of horses like, you know. So I wasn't <laughs> trying to like reinvent anything. I was just trying to like respect that guy's, uh, you know, vision and yeah path. So what led you to leave? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Ten years, uh, it it didn't seem like you know. I said that for that record, Infinite Arms, was very. Uh, uh, it was very much a collaborative feeling, you know. Yeah. And uh, and as it evolved, it became less and less that you yeah. know. There'd be a lot of like, I'm gonna do, what you know, like, I don't know. It, it just became like one-man show which it always could have been you know it was never mm-hmm. like my intention to like water down anyone's vision you know but um, right but as it went on it was less and less like oh we're all in this together it was more like uh started feeling like we were you know hired just playing uh, somebody yeah, else's songs so, yeah and and it didn't really like in my eyes it didn't really like evolve the way that that it could have like mm-hmm. i I think we could have like we could have moved forward uh, in ways that 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 I had glimpses of, you know. Like even if we had continued on the path of like the Infinite Arms kind of like style or just that 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 drive, um, I think it might have stayed exciting for me. But yeah. um, it just it didn't feel that way, and the shows kind of felt very much the same after a while, like. We would always, you know, he'd always try and change the set list, but a lot of times it would be very similar, you know, and just yeah. be like shifting the same 12 songs around in order. Um, I think, yeah, I think it felt to me like we were stuck. And, you know, I know it probably didn't feel that way to Ben, but, you know. And then, you know, dynamics of five guys and mm-hmm. and a tour manager uh, on a bus yeah. for 10 years. Working really, really hard. You know, we we we're constantly, uh, you know, touring. Yeah, uh, it's hard to keep relationships for sure uh, on the on the level. I I'm 
I think I'm pretty good at like communicating. I'm a yeah. good, uh, and I'm always working on that. I'm trying to get better and better at it. But uh, yeah, at some point, I think we just weren't communicating, and uh, you know, then resentment started to build up, and it mm-hmm. just it didn't end great. So yeah, um, but it's you know, it's a shame. I don't, I don't, I don't miss it, but I, I think uh, if I had orchestrated the way that I left everything it would have been a little bit more it might have been a little more uh easy yeah (laughs) you know uh yeah so I don't know I mean it's it was a it was a great run 10 years was awesome that's that's I got to do things that I longer than Seinfeld I'll say that's better than a great run (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I got to do things that I never dreamt you know, or even like, I didn't have any like big rock and roll fantasies ever in my life. I still huh. don't really. So like getting to do some of those things like uh, th- that we got to do, like, you know, uh, playing with Neil Young, um, right. playing, you know, Pete Seeger's 90th birthday, playing Evening Kitchen for Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, on side stage at Bonnaroo or like yeah, uh, flying all over the world and playing shows everywhere. It was things that I never even had dreamt of, <laughs> you know, so it was very cool to get to do those things. And I've got, you know, I've got tons of cool memories and cool stories and, um, and yeah, so that, that, that was, a it was a wild ride and I, yeah. but they also at a point, you know, my daughter was born, uh, right. In 2014. And, um, and then I had to be gone because we just never, you know, no one could say no to a tour because there's five guys, two of which had families are, you know, starting families. And right. um, you never wanted to turn, you didn't want to be the guy that was like, I can't go on that tour. Yeah. So like we were always touring. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I missed a lot of my daughter's like, you know, first couple of years of her life until I was out, you know, left that band. It was mm. like, um. And there would be times where, it, by that point, things didn't feel that great anyway. So there'd be times where I'd be getting on a plane and like putting my sunglasses on because I was going to have a good cry on the way out to yeah. be gone for a month and miss you know miss my family. Yeah. Um, and she was going through a lot of health things too. So like there was just a lot of yeah. It was really hard for those last two years to to make it seem like it was. Especially if that's not something that you really aspired to do. Right. Like, you wanted a career in music, but not necessarily that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I've never, like, it seems like I've just kind of, like, been uh, shown my path (laughs) in a way, you know? Like, I don't feel like I was like, this is what I'm doing right next, you know? It's always just been, like, I bumped into somebody and then all of a sudden I'm like playing in this band and like this happens and then I'm like doing my own thing again. And it's, it's always like been a way for me to hopefully improve what I do as a musician. Like I feel like every, uh, experience I've had with other bands, I come back to what I do and I'm able to like pull in more, uh, I don't know. I've got more to pull from. Yeah. You know, so I've I've got more like 
either think, just more I think confidence it's just called or being open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah, but yeah. So, and I guess after that was uh, um, Valley Wind. Right? Valley Wind was in the middle of that. That was around 2011, I think. That came out, and yeah. that came out on Fat Possum, and then they reissued. Uh, long dream about swimming across the sea too at the same time and um so i didn't really get to tour that record or yeah. do too much with it which is kind of a bummer because i feel like i, I love that record um but yeah, yeah there's some beautiful songs on that record that's a yeah that was a really cool recording experience too though we ended up in nashville it was me and bill reynolds and and seth kaufman and just the three of us in a little studio called alex the great over there yeah and uh, I remember it snowing a lot, and we were just kind of trapped. We didn't. It leave. sounds like it. We didn't leave the whole time. <laughs> we just sat in there and made a really moody, cool record. Yeah. Uh, Seth Kaufman, we, I don't feel like we've talked about Seth and you guys' relationship at all, really. But mm-hmm. um, you know, Seth from from Floating Action and just an incredible songwriter in his own right and musician. And you've been working with him forever. Yeah, we. Um, I'm trying to think of the first things we did together, but I we I used to play with him. I would like play bass or, um, you know, we we talk about Seth and I talk about it. A lot, but there was a tour that we did. Uh, he was got in his van, and me and him went out west, you know, like all the way out to the west coast. And it, it was kind of crazy. We were gone for a while, and uh, but there were barely any shows. <laughs> like they were just like <laughs> some random shows. Like one of them was uh, like at a laundromat in San Francisco or something. And um, I don't know. It was just wild that we we dove that into it. Uh, for a small amount of shows, a lot of the time we were just camping, and it was a, a be- it was probably my favorite tour I've ever done. Yeah, uh, but it was like mostly just me and him in his in his Volkswagen van, like uh, driving through the country and yeah. you know camping and finding random places, sleeping in Walmart <laughs> parking lots, and like you know uh, just a guy playing trip. to hardly anybody <laughs> playing it, you know and. Yeah, we did it. It was fun. And that, yeah, I remember seeing you guys play all the time with that little two-piece setup with like the the drums on the yeah. pedals. Yeah. And hitting the cymbals with the necks of the guitars. <laughs> just and it sounded like a full band, but it's yeah. just the two of you guys sitting up there. It was always great. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. And then I always like that, you know, he was involved in in all those records um and then uh for the morning as well. I mean, he was heavily on um valley wind because it was just the three of us but then yeah. uh 
His sounds then, are just so like he yeah. Just has, he's really like he'll he'll just do something. And you're like that seems crazy, but then you'll hear it in the song. And you're like oh that's really yeah. Because <laughs> he's never like ripping a solo. Right. Like, he's not out there just shredding. Yeah. But he just gets these like very focused sounds out of this gear that he knows so well. Yeah. And it just creates like just with two of you guys on a stage, like he creates so much sound by doing so little, just by giving it space and giving yeah. it yeah his attention. You know. Yeah, and he's dialed that in even more. Um, but he, yeah, he, he and I went to Louisville and did that record for the morning. Yeah. With Kevin Rotterman, um, who owned a studio up there uh, called La La Land. Kevin does a lot of work with My Morning Jacket, and I had met him at a party up there one time at his studio, and and then me and Seth just went up there and made that record. Um, yeah. With him. Oh, you feel like your writing and your process has changed from that first self-titled record to you know this new work you've it seems like you've gone through so many processes of and changing each album seems like you've changed the way you've approached it mm-hmm. to the point where like how how have you how how has that process evolved for you and how are you how are you treating it differently now than you did back then I think I do more work now. I do more work. Like I'll I'll write the songs or I'll get the idea in my head and like document the melody line and like guitar like idea. Um but the writing part, the lyric uh, the lyrics I think I learned this from a Bruce Springsteen documentary. I think he had notebooks that were just like loose leaf three bind, you know, like three hole binder. Yeah. Notebooks that he would write in and you can just keep adding paper, you know? <laughs> so right. like, um, I think I saw that on, on some documentary of him, but I, I've started doing that. Like I, I always feel like those bound notebooks, I, I'm afraid to write in those. That's the same. I have this one right up here <laughs> yeah. and I never use it, but I yeah. write on a loose page and then slip it between the totally. pages of that one. Yeah. So <laughs> that's I, a great, that's a great fix to that. Yeah. And though this was a huge, <laughs> step for me because i feel like now i'm like i'm not afraid to write 
and write and write and edit. And I'll rewrite the same thing on page after, you know, there's songs where there's like, you know, 20 pages of me restarting it, you know, with the line that I know is good yeah. and then trying out other ideas until I find, you know, what really feels true. And that's what, um, that's the new thing for me is like that, that patience in that and, yeah. and really trying to hone it to where it, it really doesn't, there's not something in it that's not honest, you know, like there's not something yeah. that I'm trying to slide in there to fill a gap, you know, does that ever change time, what it's about? Um, I think songs do that anyway. Like, I think I think yeah. sometimes you start you start a song and you think you know where it's going, and it it's ends one up thing, and then it turns moving into somewhere else. else. Yeah, yeah. But um, but this, yeah, this is just a way to kind of like really get rid of all the 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 BS and like end up with something that mm-hmm. is is the truth for me or whatever. So that's that's been a cool. Uh, do you know what the thing. song is going to be about when you sit down to write it, or does it? Um, Does not always, no, I, I don't think always, there might be a line that just sounds cool and then you, you yeah. write around it or whatever. Um, but you're not going in like, I'm going to write a song about this person's struggle with addiction and how hard it's been with living with them or, you know. And there've been those songs. Yeah, yeah, I think, but, um, but then they don't even end up coming, coming <laughs> right. across the way that you think they were going <laughs> they to. They take on know? lives of their own. Yeah. And that's, that's such a cool thing. Like yeah. there's nothing better like for me and I you know I hear a lot of people that are singer songwriters uh, say that there's nothing better than that feeling of like finishing a song. Yeah. I think that's the best part of everything that I that I get to do is like that moment where you just know you've just finished a new song. Yeah. You know, um it doesn't even have to be put out or whatever. It's like you you've got something that you've created that you've are happy with and that's like that's the whole magic of, of this whole thing, I think. How do you know when it's finished? Um, when I've weeded out all the all the bullshit and uh, and it's and it's doing, it, I think I get a feeling. You yeah. Know? Like I I get a wave of emotion when I think I when I'm a lot of time it might be I might you know yeah start crying or whatever, but it's like it, it could be that, but it's like. You, you get like a release when you know that it's like done. That's the one. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. What's with uh, what's what's with the new record? You got you got a new one? I do. I, I went to Seattle. So all right, I'll I'll, I'll backtrack for a second. Um, when we started Infinite Arms, Band of Horses, uh, Phil Eck, he mm-hmm. he produced the first two of their records, and uh, he started that project, um, but ended up leaving the project. Um, but I got to work with him for a, for a minute. Oh, wow. Uh, as, as a producer, uh, on that record. And he was just like, so detailed and, and so like his sounds, I think are just incredible. Like his, his ability to dial, you know, in a guitar sound or the drums or whatever it's, he's, he's so focused on it. And, uh, I just really appreciated his style and his energy in the studio. I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. So it was, after I mean, after he left for a reason. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. After he left, I was always like, just in the back of my mind, thinking it'd be really cool to 
get to work with him at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was out in Seattle playing a show and I think we did sound check and I was walking down the road to get something to eat and Phil and his wife drove past me <laughs> and he's like, Tyler. And he texted me like, Hey, are you in Seattle right now? And, uh, this was only like, this was like, I don't know, 2019 or 2018 maybe. And he, uh, so he ended up coming after the show and hanging out and I gave him a copy of for the morning Nice. and he really liked it. And, uh, and we were like, we should work, do something together. And he's like, yeah, we should definitely do something together sometime. So went out to Seattle, uh, couple years ago not even a couple years ago <laughs> uh not too long ago and uh started working with him you know i yeah. sent him all these new songs and he he liked them and and uh so he produced this new record uh we we did it in some pretty like legendary seattle studios and um he hired the band he hired uh sean lane to play drums and sean's he plays with like Ann Wilson <laughs> from Heart, but he's like a killer young. He used to do like drum tacking for Phil in the studio, and he just oh, cool. like has like drum sounds like dialed, and he's like such like I don't think I've ever played with a drummer like that before. That was just so precise and so like. I mean, it, I don't want to say it sounded like a drum machine, but it kind of did. He's just so damn good. Yeah, and. uh and then um, Morgan Henderson played bass. He's a he's a Fleet Foxes member. Yeah. Um, but he he doesn't play bass in Fleet Foxes, but he is that's his main instrument actually. I think. Huh. And um, so those two guys came in and played for the first like six days and laid down the basic tracks. And then you know uh, mostly me and Phil. Nice. Uh, just were hanging out doing overdubs for you know we were in there two sessions to uh, a month total and and uh yeah made this record that it, that i um once again i feel like i my writing i had you know had more time to like focus on writing these songs and i i really feel like i uh, took another step forward
about um when you know you've been playing a bunch of smaller shows in Mm -hmm. town yeah lately and uh i think in the past you used to only play like once or twice a year in town Mm -hmm. but it seems like you've been doing a lot of a lot more shows and have been a lot more active in the region and i'm just wondering where that's where that's coming from i think that was a result of pandemic times and um i don't know i i'm not I'm not trying to play in Asheville at a bunch of places, but I I realize there's such a cool energy to go into a place that's in, you know, um, Franklin or (laughs) just going like some place where you're going to have an audience that is not going to come to your town to see you play. But they think, I mean, it's really a special night to go show up at a place that's maybe not even always a music venue it might be like they do a music series and they have people come play once a month or something yeah and uh i found that that is really uh really satisfying to play those kind of nights where like the audience doesn't necessarily know what to expect you know um the people that are putting on the show aren't super 
worn out, you know? There's a lot of times where you show up at venues and and it's just another show for the people that are working there. And that it's fine, you know, yeah. it's the way it is. But also um, it's nice to have a different outlet. So I, I've been enjoying these other places, like trying to find these uh, smaller towns and find where a spot is to play in those towns. And I think that's... Um, I'm going to try to keep doing that. Um, in in a way, it's kind of been an uh, an in between thing for me because I'm still waiting to put this record out. Right. So I can't really go play all the main uh, markets. You know, I can't go like play the big cities. Right. Anyway, because I have to kind of wait until the record's out to to help draw people in for those shows. So um, it has a lot to do with the way you know music business works or whatever, which I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. No at one all. does right now. <laughs> it's a, bu- yeah, it's, it's, but it also, yeah, it's like a, it's more just like, man, it's so fun to go, you know, um, I played at like yonder market in Franklin and it was like, nice. they built this stage outside and, uh, and they're just like beautiful people and they have this beautiful venue. And like, there were a lot of people there and it was like, people just, you know, going to the market, buying a bottle of wine, sitting out there having a glass of wine and um, seeing a show and the sun setting. And you're like, it, it's just a different energy. And I, I really have been appreciating that. Lately. Yeah. It strikes me because I feel like you went from playing those kinds of venues to, you know, playing in front of Bruce Springsteen. And then <laughs> yeah. Back to this again. Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of because, like you mentioned before, that it was never your aspiration to do the world right. tours. Right. No, I mean, my aspiration was based on a moment that I, uh, I'm a huge Leo Kotke fan, right? He's yeah. a, one of my guitar heroes. And the moment I saw him pull up to be here now, that old venue that used to be in Asheville, um, in a rental car, I'd pop <laughs> his trunk and get two acoustic guitars out, shut the trunk, talk to a couple people and walk in. And just blow everyone's minds at a small <laughs> venue, you know. Um, and then shows over, he walks back out with his guitars, puts them in the trunk and drives off. And I'm like, that's, that was the moment I was like, that's what I want to do. You yeah. Know? That, that was it. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need like, I just want to play music for people that are there to see me play. Right. You know, it doesn't matter how many people there are. I think when you get to a certain level there's an element of hype that like uh, is very distracting from what is actually happening. You know, I don't think people are there necessarily. They're there to take pictures or they're there to talk or they're there just to maybe say that they were there. Um, But a lot of the music part (laughs) gets lost in that, in that mix somewhere. Totally. And it's, I'm still trying to figure out what that is, but it's, Um, it's just maybe our society or whatever, but it's like, I'd rather play to a small group of people that are really like really into it, you know? Yeah. And we can have like a a moment together and and have a night together where we're just like taken somewhere else for a minute, you know? And it's not like, you know, um, it's not hypey and it's not like, you know. No one even needs to post it, <laughs> post about it. It's just a thing that happened, you know. It's to me that's what uh, is really satisfying about 
about what I do, you know, is that I can hopefully take an audience and, uh, you know, give them a break from yeah. whatever, you know, for a while. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, man, it. thank you. It yeah, fun. This was a good conversation, I feel like. Endless thanks to Tyler Ramsey For taking the time to talk to us today His new album, New Lost Ages Will be available in early 2024 The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour Is made possible by our underwriter The Marketplace Restaurant Serving Asheville for over 40 years The Marketplace is Asheville's original farm-to-table restaurant The Marketplace strives to bring you the best of what our region has to offer, farmed by our neighbors. For more information on our underwriters or to support us yourself by subscribing to our Patreon, head to dirty-spoon.com. The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. All of the text from our stories is available on our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. There you can also catch up on past episodes, as well as subscribe to the show and help us keep going through our Patreon. The incredible artwork on that page is by Corinne Pease, Katrin Doza, Ashley Icomedes, Kelly Minear, Garnet Fisher, Paul Choi, Marianne Papineau, Claire Winkler, and Alex Knighton. Music in this episode by the one and only Tyler Ramsey. Lexi Harvey is our editor-at-large, sources our stories, handles our website and marketing. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I handle the music selection, production, recording, audio editing, and write some of the original music. Tune in next month for more stories, conversations, and music from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour from WPVM.